You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was going to ask, have you busted out the trumpet at all on any of these records? <laughs> I tried. Okay, on the first solo record, I I had there was a part on a song called um, De- Devil on the Wall, and I heard like this kind of mariachi band part, and there's footage of it online somewhere of me trying to play, like I'm wearing this, like a pork pie hat, and I'm, it's the first time <laughs> I tried to play in like decades, and my embouchure, you know, with trumpet players, you develop your embouchure, and it's like a muscle. and Right. Th- completely non-existent and it's pretty funny actually me you should hear how bad i am i I think elvis my producer was like he heard me in the rehearsing because i was like hey elvis trust me i'm gonna i'm gonna get i'm gonna get my embouchure bank so yeah yeah just go for it (laughs) meanwhile he's programming at midi after (laughs) (laughs) that's what happened in fact i think we just cut the part yeah that's not gonna work This is gonna be bad. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, <laughs> wait. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another wonderful episode of 2020. Don't forget to like and subscribe to 020-D.com. As always, I'm Siobhan Cronin here with my cohorts, Benny Goodman and Corey Peza. How's it going, guys? Super excited to be back. And here we have Ben in the video, just uh, showcasing the Jason Becker guitar. So definitely tune into this episode to hear more about what's going on with that. But before we get get off topic here, part two with the amazing Miles Kennedy of Alter Bridge. Plays with Slash of his own solo projects. Definitely check out his new Ides album. Ides of March is his, uh, his newest solo record. Check that one out. And he plays unbelievably good guitar and slide guitar on it and sings like a fucking champion. And I, I'm not just yeah. saying that. Like, he literally is the best. Yeah, he's super down to earth, super cool, great stories, great, great tips and advice. So let's check it out. Part two, Miles Kennedy. Subscribe. We'll just jump back in with Miles Kennedy. Who gives a flying whatever? (laughs) This is how we do it now. But, you know, talking about music school, this is something I like to ask people that did go to music school. I, as Ben can attest to, I feel like in a lot of ways it has made some things harder for me. It helped me be a great violinist and to play classical music. You're a horse. Yeah. You like being told what to do exactly. Exactly. So, you know, put something in front of me and I'm fine. That's totally my comfort zone, you know, but over time, especially getting into the rock scene, I've had to learn to improvise or write or arrange something. And, you know, like I said, Ben can attest that it stresses me out to the nth degree because I'm like, oh, no, but this well, is like not a choose right. your own and- adventure because you hear all these things in your head. It's like 10,000. OK, the way I describe Siobhan's mind is there's like 10 orators. You got like Leonard Nimoy over here. You got Orson Welles, but they're all yelling at the same time and they're all the greatest soliloquies, but she can't discern between which one so she'll send you 18 <laughs> violin tracks and you have to figure out the one hummable line and where the chorus and the counterpart comes in but it's like choose your own adventure 
<laughs> right. The, the choose your own adventure. Because she doesn't. Uh, she's not decisive. She can't choose. She's like, I don't want to go major or minor. Let them figure it out. Like you gotta choose sometimes. <laughs> well, that's the hard part. That is the. That is that that um, and that's a, I guess a skill in and of itself and and sometimes I feel like I'm more in tune with it than others and when it comes to creating is just, okay for example you I'm, I'm there's a song I'm working on right now and I've been obsessing about it where it's like I've got the intro and the verse and the pre-chorus and I feel like it's all strong and then every time I get to the chorus I'm like and it's, to me it's all about the chorus that my motto I had a, mon, a manager tell me this a long time ago like don't bore us get to the chorus which I yeah. thought genius and so that's such an important foundation of the song and sometimes you'll have multiple courses that would work but what i find is that when i become indecisive the best thing to do is to set it aside and get away from it and sometimes it requires that to get away from it for a very long time and then go back and listen with fresh ears and then you it's a lot of times it's very easy. So next time you're in that situation, maybe just step away from it and then come back and listen and go, and it'll, 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 the, the universe will help guide you. Trust me. And, and it's amazing how many times that's happened. It's been very beneficial. Oh, the other option thing, oh, no, that, go ahead, ben. I was going to, I was going to say to you, Siobhan, is you could do what I do is keep a signed picture of Michael Shanker over you. And every time you make a decision, you think, what would Michael say? You know what I mean? Uh, that that's also important. Is is thinking to yourself, am I going to hate this later? And if you don't hate yourself after it, then you haven't worked hard enough on it. And that's that's the thing for me. So like, I, I'll I'll play bass on a song, but I'll play it six hundred times because I have to play it all the way through at least once perfectly. And I think that frustration. And then the next day you come back down on fresh ears, and you're like, oh my god, I did something acceptable for the first time in my life. <laughs> Well, I think what a good thing that goes back to what something we talked about in part one is, you know, you a lot of people get in their own way. And I guess my question for you, Miles, is have you been in that position where you felt like maybe you were getting in your own way? And what do you do to sort of get out of your own way or to clear the air to let that moment of inspiration come through? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it, hap- it happens all the time. I'm always getting in my own way. Um, my And my goal as a as a human being is to eventually figure out how to nav- how to really harness that and you know i've, I've really gotten into and i've been you know, i've talked about i don't you know i have no problem talking about things like mindfulness and med- meditation and whatnot because that sort of thing really is helpful uh to remove all of that exterior nonsense but i don't have it down by any stretch of the imagination i'm still very much on my on my journey so when i'm in that s- in a circumstance where I'm so mired in all of that, and for me, for me personally, so much of it can be ego, where I'm not serving the song, I'm serving something else that should not be there, and so uh, you know, it it, it really it comes down to snapping out of it, be, getting becoming present, and just if I have to walk away from whatever I'm working on, then then do so. Don't don't get angry about it. Don't obsess about it just take a deep breath and you know you come back to it with a fresh perspective and and usually like i said it'll it'll present itself but it's even you know it's interesting it's even with improvisation that's why i love improvisation so much that's why i love jazz is because when i listen to somebody like john coltrane it's like that man was present like you listen to those solos, he was right there. He was, he was, he was, he was right in it. And I think that's... We always say this on the show. Like if you really 
want to take your music to the next level, the only level you can go beyond classical is jazz because it's like musical surprise all the time. Here's a really important question for me as a nerdy guitarist. I love Slash. I love Tremonti. And you play with both of these guys. And with Slash, one of the things I think is really great is that even though everyone's played the Sweet Child of Mine solo, he still plays it a little bit different than even himself every single night. It's kind of like, again, musical surprises with Slash. Like he's still pulling like... He looks like he's still like figuring out what his solo he's been playing for 40 years is like, what's the difference between playing with someone like a slash and someone like Jamani who are both geniuses in their own right as a guitarist and a singer. Yeah. You know what? I would say the diff with the thing that slash has. Okay. So Mark is his, he, he takes his solos and he composes his solos. They're very, they're, he knows exactly where he's going and he plays that, which is awesome. It's amazing. Slash does this. He knows where things are going as well. But then there, he tends to do a lot more of the. He'll take, a, for example, like we have a song called Anastasia, where he'll just my favorite Slash song. Yeah, that, that's probably mine as well. Probably between that and Starlight, and and I think that just because that's where it all started with with that with that relationship. But he's look, the the thing with Slash is that there's an improvisational element that you he will never play on certain songs he will never play the same solo twice so for me that's always a treat standing right next to him and like okay where is he going to go tonight that's it's amazing and on those nights where he's firing all firing on all cylinders and he's truly tapped into what's he's tapped into the universe for lack of a better phrase it's it's an incredible ride. It's incredible. And he will go. I have a, a friend who's a kind of a fellow jazz snob and, 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 and he's, he's hard, he's a hard person to, to impress and he'll stand out in the audience and go, man, the thing about watching slash play some of these solos is he, he won't play the same thing twice. It's just like, you never know where it's going. And he just, there's so many ideas that he just continues to tap into in a very present way. So, that's the i guess that's the thing that is really fun um to 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 hear night after night but going back to mark mark's approach is 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 very different and it's he's got a certain like intensity to his for for me with mark it's not so much this i love his solos but it's his rhythm it's his the way he attacks how aggressive he is almost like a hetfield approach to his rhythm playing which is really brilliant and that was one of the reasons i think i wanted to um you know, early on when I heard him play, I thought it would be really cool to, to do something with that guy one day, just because that's that's a, something that I don't do. I don't. That's not my 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 wheelhouse. And uh, so, yeah, his rhythm playing is 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 really awesome. I love yeah. it. With that idea of you know Slash kind of changing things up, you know, every solo is a little different. When you're performing for like a long tour, do you take any considerations into keeping the set fresh? We try to have some audibles. You know, we were guilty for a while there of playing the same set over and over as Alter Bridge. And I think some of it just because you get comfortable and you like there's always even if you have one or two songs that are you'll switch out night after night. And if you haven't done them in a little while, then there's always a little bit of you, you get a little nervous. Like, are we going to are we going to ruin this tonight? Are we going <laughs> to land on our feet? So sometimes it's easier just to go. Oh, we'll just play the same set. But when we started to realize that we have fans that would go to every show, there would always be the same people in the front mm-hmm. row, whether we were in Spokane, Washington, or we were in somewhere in Italy. And so you're, you start to realize 
you you have to mix it up because if someone cares enough to come see your band on just about every show on a tour you owe it do you owe it to them <laughs> to mix that up a little bit and uh, it ends up being it ends up being really fun and i feel like it, it um i'm really grateful that that we started to incorporate that a little more are there any like unique uh shows you can think of where something you, you know you went either way off script or something unexpected happened on stage that you know really broke up that that uh flow that you guys had going on whether it was you know a spinal tap moment or anything Jeez, there's so many there's so many spinal tap. <laughs> i think tour life is all spinal tap right? <laughs> it really is it really is just kind of like i've been lost when the, you can hear, you hear the crowd cheer. hello cleveland and i think it was actually in cleveland downstairs in the theater and i couldn't find where this the stage door was and you know so yeah that sort of stuff happens or you fall and it's you know i remember at a festival in in the netherlands um this was a long time ago but i used to this uh, there was a set list posted on the uh wedge on the monitor wedge and this was when i was before i was playing guitar in in, in alter bridge and i remember going to step up and do some sort of you know whatever a front man pose on the wedge. <laughs> landed on the on the on the set list and it took the you know it, i basically <laughs> slipped and fell right on my right on my face in front of you know thirty thousand people and it's yeah it's humiliating but but then what what i find is you just get up and you kind of you point you, you let everybody know that yeah i screwed up and i think it brings in a human element and in a way that kind of helps sure <laughs> kind of helps so so uh so yeah there's always there's always some silliness that goes on Sure. Well, speaking of Alter Bridge, we kind of started off on in the last episode, you talked about how you got the call to work with Mark and, you know, went from you were in Spokane, you went to Florida or something, right, to to get together. Um, what was it like when you first got in a room together to work on writing songs? And how did your process of songwriting change, you know, being with someone different, someone new, previous, you know, compared to your previous projects? Yeah, that well, see, that was the the for me that was the most foreign element because up until that point, from basically the last the prior thirteen years, I was the sole songwriter. I mean, in any of the bands I was playing in, other than this fusion band, I was in this fusion band called Cosmic Dust, and the, and Jim Templeton was the composer. So you know, he just put the charts in front of us and we play. But that was that was a different realm. Anything where I was singing, um, I was writing the songs, um, and so that was that was the biggest shift was having somebody to co-write with and it's and it especially at the beginning songs that were already in existence so that was that was a, that was the biggest change for me and I, so i what's interesting when you work with a different songwriter I, I found this with mark i find it working with slash and other people i've had the the opportunity to to, to write with over the years is you always learn something you always like to learn a new oh i never would have thought about going to that kind of change there or I never would have thought of that sort of um, approach for for how to a, a arrange something and and vice versa you know you, you, you there's this really beautiful exchange of, of ideas that happens if you allow yourself to kind of check your ego at the door because that's what, what a lot of it is as a songwriter you get if you're precious with your idea if you walk and go I've got this idea and I am not going to change it then you're you're, you're missing out on the fun because if you allow it to kind of throw it out there and you allow that kind of chemical reaction to happen with your your co-writer or co-writers then you then you achieve something really magical like blackbird there's no way either one of us could have written that on our own it, it required that 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 chemistry and and so that's something that's 
really exciting. Um, and, and I, and I, I, I'm, I'm grateful once again that, that uh, I, I didn't go through my whole career just writing all by myself because I think I wouldn't have learned nearly as much. Yeah. Is there something specific that you feel like you learned and starting to work with Mark? Was there like a something that changed in your process of songwriting after getting together with him? Yeah, it was more it, it was more of that idea where you you wait for this you wait for the parts to come together you know with with mayfield for a lot of times i would sit down in one sitting and try and compose the whole song and with mark what i learned is oh i've got all these verses or i've got all these riffs or i've got all these choruses and he'd literally have them just kind of categorized and i thought that's a really interesting way of doing it and um but it requires that organizational component that i had to yeah he's 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 insane dude he, he explained this to us and so first off on paper if you do what mark tremani suggests by cataloging everything and then putting emojis so you could easily <laughs> get like you could technically create the most uh, you capture all the magic you, you, like like dio you capture the magic and then you go this is the dio this is the iron maiden this is what and then you could sit there and you could basically frankenstein songs where it sounds to me more like you're just the dude that gets hit like at the clock tower at the right time in 1955 <laughs> right at the Chapman under the sea dance right at that right moment and then you're just like here's the song you either get it out of your mind or you just move on where Shimani's at home going all right maybe I'll fall in the bathroom again <laughs> is, is that a good way to summarize because he says now he's writing more like you for you and that you have been serving him back because he's like he writes me riffs that feel like they should have been my riffs it is that an accurate thing? And, and do you have buckets? Like, so for example, do you write, like, because I feel like with listening to your solo record. Finish your question, Ben. The, basically, <laughs> what I'm it. saying is there's different Don't gears. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Come there's on. Different, there, yeah. There's different gears. So for your solo record, I feel like it's a lot more like these beautiful, intricate chord progressions. Whereas like you have a lot of this other stuff that's more riff based. Like when, when you write for things, do you have buckets in your mind? And you immediately go, this is my solo record. Oh, Mark's going to love this. Maybe Slash. I just sneak this into the... The, the sound check and he'll dig it like are there oh, buckets while you're doing this yeah there you definitely know where and that's the beauty i'm all all three things are, are different enough that i generally don't have a problem knowing where an idea is going to sit um but it is true it's funny that mark said that i've learned through years and years of playing with mark i now kind of think like he does when it when i'm stepping into the ultra ridge realm as a as a writer and i know what works there's it's it, there's a there's a certain shift that takes place when i pick up a guitar and i'm writing for that and it's the same thing i think for him melodically if he comes up with some some melodies he's thinking more like, like you said he's using his falsetto more he's not he's he's a natural baritone so he's not keeping it as low but uh, but that's been the fascinating thing you know we've been doing this now together for almost geez we're coming up on 18 years so you would you would think that you're you're going to influence each other and that's and that's really really wonderful um yeah so so but i it, i love that analogy about the idea that you're going to be at the clock tower because <laughs> that is kind of what i always prefer because i am um a bit of a i do believe that the the, the best songs often ha should be they happen it's the universe giving it to you versus like this technical thought like he's like a technician he's a scientist with all of his pedals and like all of his amps and his dumble that has god in it and like all this crap <laughs> whereas you're just like the dude that like just give me a guitar and if it works i'll be in a bathtub like freddie mercury when he wrote crazy little thing called love he wrote it in a bathtub when he was naked and he was like 
call the front desk, send me some chocolates, I got a song. And that's when it was done. And I feel like you're more the Freddie Mercury naked in a bathtub at the Ritz kind of guy. In a bathtub. I'm going to try that. I'm going to sit in a tonight naked in the bathtub. Drink a Moa to Shandon. Yeah. With your gimbali tuning, then you'll be... Uh you have all the necessary ingredients. I love it. <laughs> That's funny, Corey, you said that because I brought my Gambali tuned guitar so we can oh, hear you it. Can you hear that? You want to uh, tune it first? It's not that good, but. <laughs> but just playing normal. You know, it's a, I, I can't hear anything on here. There's no monitor for this. But it's yeah. okay. We can hear it. That's my Gambali <laughs> Kind of speaking of, of instruments, I heard, and it, it might have even been the, uh, the Rick Beato interview you did, you were talking kind of about natural ability versus uh, training your voice. You were pretty open about the fact that you really had to work to, to build you know, your instrument in, in a way that, you know, you, you do have natural ability, there's no doubt, but you were able to kind of expand that quite a bit. And I think a lot of people uh, don't necessarily believe that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know what? I'm kind of passionate about the idea of taking a certain, I guess, a certain, a certain amount of natural ability, but then through understanding and utilizing technique that you would never stumble on yourself, you can take that and mold it into something different and something that will allow you to have a, like a, a, a broader range. And so I'm not afraid, even, even though a what's really strange about me as a vocalist is a lot of the guys that I really love as singers, guys and girls may not have been quote unquote trained. Um, and so there's, because I like that there's a certain, like a lot of, do you, Robert Johnson certainly was not studying bel canto, and I, I love. <laughs> but hold on, do we even know what he sounds like? Because I've heard all these rumors that we don't even know the speed at which those tapes were recorded, so that may not actually be the sound of his voice; that it may be slower or higher. So big, I'm confused. My whole life, that that 27 minutes of my life has been challenged. <laughs> right, I didn't know that. That's actually that's that's. You, a, you didn't, yeah. So that's the true story. So they're they're now saying that it may have been recorded at faster or slower speeds, and they don't know definitively. So his voice is his voice, but they don't know if that's what it actually sounded like. Okay, well then I'll I'll, I'll say Sunhouse. So there's another one. Like I Sunhouse. Like whoa, uh, it's it's. It, mind blown anytime i hear what he was doing vocally but once again he was not he did not study opera so um that would have been interesting though i certainly would have liked to have heard that well you can have voices like ella fitzgerald or something that you could just hear immediately from the first second like it doesn't even matter that she's maybe not juilliard trained she was born like she's that natural that i think you're speaking about yeah, like there's no question to me she and she's prop for me she's probably the I, you know, it depends what day you ask me. That she's my number one. Like Ella, to me, Ella Fitzgerald. Really? Oh, 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 yeah. Especially when she sings Gershwin. Like, oh, like I got. Goose oh man, about. right, right, right in the feels, dude. Oh, I love that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. She, she was something so special, so, so, so special. And you know, I don't know if she had any technique, any, any training, but, but for a guy like me, I needed, yeah, I needed a little help. So. So well, I, I imagine she didn't have the privilege. That was just yeah. sort of my presupposition. Although I don't know, maybe she had somebody teach her, but I feel like back then that maybe she just was born with it. I yeah. think she was born with a hell of a lot more natural ability than I was. I'll what was, join what the was, club. What was the trigger to, to, to reach out and try to get that help? 
Well, it was interesting. I had a so I was managed by some folks who suggested it. This would have been in like '97, and I was a little. I kind of didn't want to take vocal lessons because I was afraid it would make it sound too trained. I I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. But I was starting to, you know, we were touring, we were getting ready to tour a lot and it was really just a matter of making it so that my voice would hold up night after night. And they had some other artists who had studied with Ron Anderson and this, and they said it just went really well. So that's, so they facilitated it. They reached out and, and connected Ron and I, and, and I really, I might've talked about this uh, with Rick, but I, it really is one of the most important parts of my journey. If I had not connected with Ron, I don't think my voice would have held up. I think I would, have, cause I was going at it completely wrong. I would have burned out my vocal cards probably by the time I was in my late thirties and I'd been another, you know, lead singer casualty. So he, and he told me that he told me on the first lesson, he said, if you fo- if you study this and you follow these principles, it will carry you well into, you know, decades and decades. You'll be, you'll still have your voice. And you know, he, uh, he, he was, so far, it's still working. So, <laughs> that's yeah, great. that's amazing. Uh, what is it about the lessons for for those viewers and and listeners that you know? Because it doesn't. There's no um, you know tab book or, or Mel Bay book you know that that can teach you how to use your muscles. What is Dude, it about those? It's Frankie goes that... to Hollywood. Relax. <laughs> right. But what is it about the lessons that that did help you? Like, what is? Can you just kind of give our our listeners a overview? Well, he is kind of right about relax. There is a certain, like with everything, it's the idea of letting, kind of letting your, letting it happen. Um, but it's, so it's, it's about your breath. It's all about how you are allowing the breath to flow and from, from where it's flowing and how you're supporting it and how you're taking the vowels as you're going higher and you're, you're changing them. So if I'm singing A down here, as I'm going higher, a becomes uh, a uh, and ah uh, becomes oh, ah, oh. And, and and I'm doing all the stuff with my soft palate, raising the. A lot of it has to do with the muscles that I u- utilize when I yawn. Okay, so it's like the muscles you use when you yawn is you raise that soft palate in the back of your head, and the muscles you pee with, which I know sounds kind of crude. Well, it's funny you say that because I <laughs> no, watched I, something about from from you saying that you should when you get to your so, break. So let's let him in your talk voice, about it because he's that, no, but I peed my pants like that. Was wasn't cool dude i was trying to hit a high c i'm going down from a lower c whatever that c is and i peed my pants because he said well you're going to that break and i broke a lot of things and the floor was disgusting i'm really sorry i helped you pee your pants though um <laughs> first time anyone's ever told me that it's wonderful oh um, my gosh <laughs> sorry Corey. yeah i would highly recommend that if you if you if you attempt some of this make sure you empty, empty your bladder before you. <laughs> um but you know what i'm gonna let me see here i'm actually here's what's really cool and they would probably appreciate this um because he's he started a like a, a, a basically like a online okay go to v it's v as in vocal victor Oh, yeah, yeah. Is Victor O I X then T E K dot com, and that there that's Ron Anderson. That's like he now does these. Uh, that's where you can see kind of how this technique works and and all that stuff. It's, he's gone. He's gone digital. So it's it's out. That's that's something that I didn't have when I started. And um, yeah, we'll, so we'll put, and, we'll put a link to that in the description yeah. for anyone that's that's watching or listening. 
Don't crash your car trying to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, of, you know, developing your craft or evolving, um, something that actually Nuno mentioned when we interviewed him was, you know, part of you know, evolving as an artist and writing new stuff is kind of letting go what people expect of you. And I'm just curious to hear some of your thoughts about your journey of how your songwriting or throughout your different projects, how you've evolved, how you've dealt with, you know, whether you're trying to please certain people or not. Like, how how do you kind of approach that? Because that, that sounds like something that a lot of people I'm sure struggle with of, you know, you you build a fan base and then you still have to somehow change and evolve and create something that's new while still, you know, not trying to please people, but you know can you talk about that a little bit yeah that's a great question it's the hard that's the hard one it's the hardest part about you develop a fan base right and you're so if you can do that you're so lucky and then you don't want to do things that are going to alienate them so if they you know it's kind of like if you're a restaurant and you are known for making hamburgers and then suddenly you're trying to make sushi people will be like wait a minute here you've 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 lost me but at the same time you don't want to create the same exact ham well i guess you could do that and that's kind of probably a bad bad example but you're the mcdonald's, well mcdonald's of music yeah. miles <laughs> <laughs> Burger King and and so it's, have it your way man your way so it's the idea that that like you you want to continue to evolve to a point without alienating your fan base then okay but here's the problem for a guy like me is that if you have a really wide range of things that you love and want to try as a as a writer and you can't expect to do that in that realm that's why you have you develop a solo project because then it's like, all right, this is me trying all this other stuff. And if you, if you enjoy it, great. I would love to have you come along for the, for the song turn. If not, there's alter bridge or there's slash. And so that's, I feel like as a, as a creative entity, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have all of that. Now I feel like I can, I can express myself in each arena and kind of get it off my chest. And anytime I do that, like even you know, once I'm done doing a solo tour and record cycle and all that, I'm ready to move on to the other stuff. Like it's not like I, it sometimes it takes a little while to step out of that. Like it's like trying to prepare for this next alter bridge record. I'm still, as I started out, a lot of the songs I was writing were like, Oh, this is still kind of, kind of solo project sounding. So we'd have to, we have to keep going and keep pushing ahead and get back into that, into that other realm. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a delicate dance. Let's just put it that way. And it's something I try to be very careful of and very, very aware of at all times. So do you have to compartmentalize kind of when you're writing, like in terms of periods of time, like, okay, right now I'm sort of in the solo project mindset. And then, you know, later on I'm in the alter bridge mindset or do, do the ideas kind of come and you have to sort of put them down their appropriate funnel in other words while they're coming to you if they're if there's something uh legit i'll try to document it and then I'll revisit it later when when i think i'll need it but generally once i kind of open up that pandora's box and any one of those genres or i should say entities it tends to kind of fly tend to kind of stay there and so that's that's nice instead of jumping all over the place and sure you know, well, have you ever thought about jumping all over the place, like a band like Queen? Because I feel like we're talking to Nuno about Queen too. And if you listen to that record, it's got heavy metal. It has like total falsetto with like a song like Nevermore. It's like all over the place. So it's kind of like, what do you what do you want from us? We did all this crazy shit. Like, 
where can we go from here? And then they have the prophet song. You know what I mean? So uh, there's one thing where you, you have all these different buckets, but have you ever just thought about just being completely free and doing a project where it's like, maybe I'll do an electronic song? Because like, I feel like David Bowie did that throughout his career where he just fucked with people. He's like, I'm going to do all electronic stuff. His last record was completely ridiculous. Like, do you ever think about maybe just putting it all out there on yeah. a record? Surprise. Yeah, I mean, in the solo world, I would... Ooh. The the, boom. <laughs> the the uh, I, I I you know what would be I would be up for attempting something like that down the road maybe a complete about face um, in the solo realm I don't think I would try that with Alter Bridge I, Alter Bridge fans kind of like they it's we we, we have a, we have a thing we we understand each other we understand what works and what doesn't and so we 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 continue to try and respect that it's uh, heavy man it's, it's heavy. heavy. With the melodic sense on top and and uh, with a little bit of melodic on top um, and then with slash there's there's certainly a thing there as well and you try not to veer too far from that um, you know I don't think slash and I are gonna in the conspirators are gonna be making any polka music as <laughs> I was gonna ask have you busted out the trumpet at all on any of these records <laughs> I tried okay on the first solo record I I had there was a part on a song called um, De- Devil on the Wall and I heard like this kind of mariachi band part and I was like you know what I'm let's rent me a trumpet because my my little brother took my trumpet years ago and lost it so I don't know where my trumpet is anymore and <laughs> well, do you think, uh, oh no, go ahead no 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 finish this no, no no don't let him ben, interrupt ben you will have plenty to say don't worry I stopped myself yes um, but basically, <laughs> basically it was kind of like and there's footage of it online somewhere of me trying to play like I'm wearing this like a pork pie hat and I'm, it's the first time <laughs> I tried to play in like decades and my embouchure you know with trumpet players you develop your embouchure and it's like a muscle and right th- completely non-existent and it's pretty funny actually me tr- you should hear how bad I am <laughs> so we, uh, I, the, I think Elvis my producer was like he heard me and they're rehearsing because I was like, "Hey, Elvis, trust me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, it. I'm gonna get my Amish bank." So yeah, yeah, just go for it. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's programming at MIDI. After you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. In fact, I think we just cut the part. I think yeah, that's not gonna work. So. <laughs> I was about to ask you, maybe that was your subconscious trying to manifest your destiny by getting Weird Al Yankovic to ask you to be on a polka track. I was trying to think of a scenario where Miles Kennedy would actually want to play on a polka track. And I feel like, well, let me ask you this. Let's say Weird Al Yankovic called you right now and said, Miles, Hmm. come down to the studio. Because you talked to Jimmy Page. Miles, it's Weird Al Yankovic. He's doing his Nightmare Before Christmas thing. For my side project, I want to do a polka thing with you. I got a killer band. Would you entertain this idea? I would entertain it. I think it would depend on the song, but you know, if it's something that is different and but yet good, you know, I'd certainly entertain it. Why not? I don't think there's bad Weird Al Yankovic. So I mean, is that isn't that like an oxymoron? Weird Al rules. <laughs> Back to you, Corey. <laughs> I agree. Well, <laughs> well I, I have a question. Um, when it, at what point did you realize that it was time to do a solo project? I'm just curious about, like, it, did it just feel like you needed to have another outlet for certain ideas? Like, how did you know it was the right time? Well, I, the first, uh, I first embarked on the journey many, many years ago. So, uh, probably 2003, I started slowly chipping away at what was going to be a solo record post Mayfield 4. And then... Um, the Alter Bridge thing happened and then that kind of got pushed away for a while. And then I started to work on it again in 2008. 
uh, or no, I'm sorry. It was, yeah, it was like late 2008 into 2009 and actually recorded a whole bunch of songs that have never been released. And then I got the call from Slash. And so then that got kind of put on the shelf. So yeah, it wasn't until 2017 where I saw there was a, a window when I could really not just put out a record, but also tour it to a point and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's, uh, there were, there are a few stop and starts and that finally, uh, it finally happened in 2017. So when you really jumped back into it, did you, you know, go back to all these songs you kind of had sketches of or something and you like had, did your perspective completely change? Cause I, I can imagine, you know, if you wrote things 10, 15 years ago, let's say, and then you come back to it, you're like, oh my gosh, no. Or, you know, you have to completely rework stuff. Yeah, there, that did happen. There were a lot of songs that will, no one will probably ever hear that I like, but just don't, they kind of sound dated. It's kind of like, it's just, I was in a different place and I was trying, it was funny. I was like a really big, massive attack fan. Well, just, oh, nice. I was just saying, yeah. compare a lot of your music to Daniel Lanois oh, and yeah. Massive Attack. And I, I mean, I think of Lanois first and foremost for doing all those U2 records mm-hmm. back in the day. And, you know, how it sounds like you're influenced by a producer. So give tell, talk about that, man, because that's a huge part of my musical upbringing. Yeah. Daniel, Daniel Lanois, there was just something about his approach, kind of that, that th- those sonic landscapes that were just really, mm-hmm. really... Um, I don't even know how to articulate it, um, but he he's done a few records over the years where I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if you took that and then combine that with like some of the rhythms of like what Massive Attack were doing, like on the on the mezzanine record. I thought, oh, that'd be so. That was kind of the initial kind of crazy a concept that I had and it just didn't quite work and it was just one of those things where I where I realized that that, that that was that was probably the wrong thing to start chasing down so I, I aborted the mission unfortunately yeah so, so paint me the picture of this because I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan and you obviously I, I look we're under no delusion you you have to how do you not like Guns N' Roses if you don't like it you don't like fun either we get it like <laughs> And, and but there was a period of time where there was a lot of drama going on, and there was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And who's the guy that had to go do the Axel fill in? But Miles Kennedy. Can you paint me that picture? What the hell was going on? Well, um, it was interesting. Um, yeah, that was in what was that? Two thousand twelve, I think. Was it, it a Wednesday? It was a Wednesday. As a matter of fact, it was a Wednesday. It, no, it was. It was. A, <laughs> you could have made me feel so good, right? Um, but but yeah. So, long story short, they asked if I'd be interested in in singing a few songs after they accepted um, the. You know, they were brought into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and and initially, I actually, res- very respectfully declined because I thought, oh man, that's that's some, that's a really that's an impossible role to, to, to try and fill. Um, and then I thought about it for a day and I thought, well, if, you know, this is going to facilitate them playing these really amazing songs and kind of, um, I guess, punctuating the evening as they, as they accept this really incredible honor, I thought, okay, well, I need to like kind of find it in me to, 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 to help help out you know and um but all the while thinking that maybe the other guys would show up and they would all play the songs together and and i don't know i i guess there was a part of me i remember standing backstage as they were accepting 
and giving their speeches and everything. And I remember I kept looking at the backstage door thinking at any moment, the other guys could come in and kind of, <laughs> it would be like, Oh cool. Like the whole band would be there. And I remember, I just remember hearing applause and seeing them head towards the stage and pick up their instruments. And I remember lo- thinking to myself, I'm, I think I, I have, I think this is going to happen. <laughs> like I realized the door was not opening and I was, and I just, it was very surreal. And, and, uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember a lot of that evening. I just remember towards the end of paradise city when it felt like everything had gone pretty well. I remember turning around and looking at Steven Adler, who was grinning from ear to ear. He was so happy. And I remember that was one of those moments where I was like, I was, I'm glad I did this. I'm, I'm, that, that moment in and of itself was really beautiful. He was so happy and they were happy and the crowd seemed to enjoy it. But then I remember looking out at my wife, Selena, who was sitting just like a few tables, like two tables back. And I could tell you, know, she was kind of like, I could just read it on her face. She's like, you're on the home stretch, baby. You know, it's going to be, we, we, we made it and this was fun and people had a good time. And, and, um, that was a, that was a heavy evening. Um, I mean, there was a lot of great, <laughs> that was a, that was a, an, an, an incredible, uh, it was a cre- an incredible set of circumstances. Let's just put it that way. But, um, but it was fun. Do you know Axel now? Like has slash now sat you down? I've never, I would love to meet him. Sit I've down. Been, no, I've never, I've never met, I've never met him. Yeah. But wow. like, like you said, like the, the appetite for destruction, I remember that was such a, like from, for most rock fans, that record is kind of like pre and post appetite for destruction. I personally don't know if there would have been at all the cool stuff that happened in the next five years, be, you know, Jane's addiction and grunge and, and, and faith no more. You know, I, I felt like that record, I felt like faith, I felt like the appetite for destruction record kind of made it. So all those bands would then be able to kind of do what they do and be accepted in the mainstream. I felt like appetite for destruction was just such an important record and, and, totally changed the landscape of what rock and roll was going to be and so yeah i'm definitely a fan what's going on now and what are you looking forward to you know now that hopefully you know knock on wood things kind of continue moving along uh you know what's what's next for you um i'm just going to keep writing trying to stock up ideas um for the for alter bridge so mark and i'll probably start putting things together here soon and then i've got a tour of the uk hopefully uh with my with my solo um band here with with zia dean and tim turnier and we're going to be be playing and playing in the uk i'm excited i'm excited i i really miss i miss playing across the pond um and then um yeah just uh writing and i think uh we've got some tour dates announced with slash the conspirators coming up early next year i think february and march and uh yeah be busy again hopefully was it like having two records because you have your solo record the mark uh and then you have slash's record because i just watched rivers rising which Mm -hmm. by the way first off just watching slash it just it's not enough if there's just one solo that melts your face. There's two <laughs> solos. And the way I know that you appreciate it like I do, because you do it, it's one second in the video. You just go like this. And he just has, he just has his eyebrows. He's like, you just got your face melted, motherfuckers. And if you don't like it, fuck you. Like, that's exactly how I felt after that song. Can you tell me what it felt like to sing with Slash on that? Because that to me is like, how do you get better than that shit? That's, and it's the same time as your solo records. You're, are you cannibalizing your own people, or is it a different demographic? <laughs> yeah, I, well, that's a, that's a good question. It's a look. It's a lot of it's a lot of uh, a lot of songs <laughs> in a very condensed period of time. Um, but 
but yeah i mean that yeah that's that track i'm happy with how that turn, track turned out and it's certainly a very the whole record is has a very live vibe to it which is which is which is fun um but i remember when that track i remember he you know he was sending demos of the music beds and i remember immediately knowing like right out of the gate right the, the, the that intro is like okay that's gonna be i thought it was gonna be an album i think yeah i think i thought like, it's gonna be an album opener i don't know if i realized it was gonna be the first single and it was one of those songs that was really easy to put a melody to and put a lyric to it happened really quickly i didn't have to overthink it a lot of times when the music is that inspiring then, then for me it makes my job really easy so, but, oh, but ahead, the second ben. half of that question though is now you have a solo record at the same time do you think that like people are able to comprehend it is it a different crowd that listens to you with slash and they're just the guns and roses people or is it like a whole holistic miles kennedy thing and now we don't know which way to look because i buy the signed records for everything and there's a lot of stuff going on there is a now. lot of stuff going on i think i think that what i find is the, there are factions from both Alter Bridge and Slash and Conspirators that embrace the solo realm and come into it. And then there are a f- few new people that come into that realm as well. So it's kind of a little bit of both, um, which is a great, it's, which is a, a wonderful, right? Um, but yeah, there's definitely uh, way, I guess, how do I articulate this? It is very, it is very challenging when you love to write more than anything in the universe and you continue to get fortunate to have the universe drop ideas into your lap and want to release that music right but that you do run the risk of kind of oversatiating people and that that's that's a that's a tricky one that's a that's a tricky one and uh, with what's happened in the state of the world everything we had it worked out to a kind of a science where everything had its lane for a certain period of time but because we had things shut down it certain things kind of butted up very close uh, closer than they normally would have and we're just going to have to kind of work through that and you know we'll make it but it's a it's a lot of music in a very short period of time for sure yeah so during the pandemic, what did life look like for you? You were at home, you know, where you live now, I take it. And how was that for you overall? Uh, it was, it was, it was kind of needed. I think I was really getting a little bit burnt uh, with the pace, which I'd been going for a long time, about a decade. In 2019, I was gone 300 days that year. I mean, it was between touring and making records. It was nonstop. I was rarely at home and I was pretty fried by the end of all that. So when, when this happened, I took it as an opportunity to power down and reconnect with my family and write a bunch of songs and really just kind of revel in the idea of waking up in the same bed every morning and (laughs) having seen and, and so it's actually, it's been really good for me psychologically and i think creatively as well because there's really literally nothing for me to do except just write songs all day so that's great and also play a lot of guitar i think i kind of rediscovered my love for lead playing and which i guess you 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 hear on this second solo record is i decided you know what i love playing lead guitar i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do more of that and and so i do spend a fair amount of time online you know following these amazing cats on instagram who just blow my mind like oh what's that like you know how do you how do you do that um so well, yeah, i have a very important question because i i saw that that you like blue murder 
which has John Sykes, which is one of my favorite guitarists. So let me follow my logic here. So if you like Blue Murder, you must love White Snake at that time. So I have to, I, I have to ask you, what's your favorite White Snake song versus Sykes solo, the John Sykes solo? Because they okay. could be a different. Right. Um, my favorite, because it was my introduction to John Sykes, like really, like the John Sykes, the way we know him, was the first, when I heard Still the Night, I was like, what is, what is happening? Like, that's sick. Everything, the riff, the, 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 the solo, and the way he's doing that, that build, and it's just so fast and intense. And yeah, that would be, uh, that would definitely be my, my go to. Although I really like, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that one. And uh, well, what are you about to say? I want to know what was number two? What was the follow up? Well, do you love his solo on Crying in the Rain? Thank you. Thank you. The solo in Crying in the Rain is just a tad better in my mind. But overall, I'm with you still of the night. Which I actually, I was actually had to learn that solo when I was when I was a kid in our band, Bittersweet. We, we covered that, and I and I had to learn that solo, and I played it horribly, but it was sure fun to try. Um, and then for Blue Murder, I'm actually, you know what? I just because I love the song, and it may not be like a super like riff and, sh- and shreddy and all that. I I think Jelly Roll is awesome. Oh, it's awesome, dude! Such a good song, you know. Love will break your heart, love, and this, what a, I mean, what an outro chorus! Come on, that's money. It's great. He's he's. <laughs> oh my god! This that made my day. Thank you. <laughs> well, so and let me actually, ask you. Oh. oh, go ahead, Ben. No, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say the one last thing is when when you're writing a song, I, I meant to tell you one of my tricks as far as if you're trying to go down a road, just ask yourself which one sounds more like Foreigner, and always, always just go with that one. Which one sounds more like Foreigner? Yeah, because if you go with the Foreigner thing, it, you said get to the chorus. Like if oh, yeah. you listen to Cold as Ice, it's all it is 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 just hook, 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 hook. Right. So for me, if it doesn't sound like Foreigner, it's probably not going to be good. That's true. Foreigner, yeah, foreigners, they were forced to be <laughs> with man. They, I heard stories that their manager would basically just keep them like if they weren't touring, he would basically get back in the studio. He was just like cracking the whip. <laughs> Even those boys working and writing and, and it paid off. I mean, what a catalog. Wow. Well, I, I actually had two questions, but I guess the first one um, that I have for you just overall is, you know, in your opinion, what makes a great song? Oh, let's see. What makes a great song? Um, well, I'm a real, f- I'm a real fan of a good melody. So I, you know, it. I look at melody, and I've said this, and I got this from a from a movie. I, th- I can't remember what the name of the movie was, but I thought it was really brilliant. The the idea of the melody is so if you're, say, I was single, and I'm at a at a bar drinking establishment, and I see a a, a lovely lady from across the room. That's the melody that the be- the, the the kind of the chemical you know that bi- biology kicking in right mm-hmm. and then the the lyric is once you go up and talk to that person that's the that's the soul it's the spirit and and so I feel like it's that marriage of a, a wonderful melody with with that lyric that resonates with with a human another human being and. Uh, you know that's that's one way of looking at a, at a good song but then there are other songs where it's all about just the groove like it's just about the pocket you know like like fame by david you know like bowie you know that's just there's just something about that pocket it doesn't really it's fame and i don't really even know what's <laughs> what's happening <laughs> lyrically i don't care it just feels good or any you know like it, it really depends i think 
Yeah. Well, one thing that I brought up when we interviewed Mark uh, a couple months ago was, you know, when I, as someone who hadn't listened to Alter Bridge much, I went and listened to a bunch of the music and I was like, wow, every single song was so unexpected, the chord progressions or a melody thing. And I'm just curious in writing some of those songs, you know, did you go in a certain direction and then stop and say, no, I'm going to do something totally weird here just to be different? Or did it, was the weird different thing just what came naturally? Well, it kind of depends. And I think that as time goes, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier with a song called Moonshot, the soul off the Ides of March solo record, where you start, you write so many songs and use so many of the same, you know, they're just a handful of chord progressions that so many writers tend to use in certain genres. And if you can just twist it just enough to make it unique without alienating without losing people that's that's the that's the dance i really am starting to enjoy more and more as time goes on um because it's the ultimate challenge it's kind of like how it's it's a balancing act how do you how do you take this chord progression and do something where you're not going to take it and it turn into a jazz odyssey it's not going to be you know, <laughs> giant steps where and you're gonna expect john coltrane to come <laughs> um, sure so yeah it, that that and that's, i really appreciate hearing that that you hear that we at least are making the effort to kind of keep a little bit of it just unpredictable enough to go twist your ear and go oh okay i wouldn't have thought about that but um yeah it's it's something that um I think just through writing hundreds and hundreds of songs, you you start to try to keep yourself interested while not trying to alienate your fan base. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I have a question about that. So a lot of people, you know, I, I don't like to compare, but compare you to Chris Cornell. And I, I, I first off feel like if you're an artist, it could be really annoying when people are like, you always sound like my name is Benny Goodman. So like, think about that. But for me, Chris Cornell was one of the greatest singers in history. And one of the things I absolutely loved about him as a guitar player is exactly what I love about you as a guitar player, which Siobhan alluded to as a completely autonomous source that has no idea other than just having to listen to to learn about this, is that you write really complex, awesome chord structures that are just these awesome inversions or strange little doohahs here and there. And those little changes just to minor, just to the seventh, or the way you hit that minor third versus the major third third but it's modally weird dude all that stuff like believe me i hear you ah uh, I, like, that's, I, th- I think that's what makes you for me when steve wood came up he goes do you know miles kennedy and i'm like are you shitting me because for me you are tantamount to chris cornell i knew about chris before you because 2014 my first date with nuno was my first date with you but before that was like chris cornell was like the barometer and mike Patton with you know faith no more which by the way another example of a band that's just like we'll do whatever the fuck we want and you're just gonna have to be along for the ride and i'm gonna throw shit at you so that was just that was just a rant i'm sorry but that's kind of how i feel after watching all these things about you I know you know what I that that um, Chris look that guy was incredible I remember in the late 80s and we were still playing we were still doing covers right as we're kids right we're playing covers in bars here in Spokane and we're doing you know White Snake and we're doing Tesla and we're doing all and it was fun it was we were and it was cool because that's kind of what playing five six nights a week four four sets a night it was 
it was an education. And then getting up and going to school the next day, it was crazy. I mean, we were playing a lot. We were working really hard. And and uh, then this band, we start hearing about, well, our guitar other guitar player's sister had moved to Seattle. And she's like, oh. And she started kind of turning us on to some of these bands in like 88, 89 that were starting to blow up over there. And there's this band called Alice in Change. You guys should check them out. You should check out this band called Soundgarden. And so we started covering a handful of those songs, like... Um, I'm trying to remember what Soundgarden songs we did, but it was really, it was really cool because you felt like, it, to me, it was the same thing I felt when I heard Appetite for Destruction. Where it was like, oh, things are about to really change here. Like you saw the writing on the wall with those records. You're like, oh, it's going, it's going to a totally different place. And Chris and all of those guys were so they were so important i don't know if there's been an, you know i've talked a little bit about this with with rick beato that i don't know if there's been another movement that's been quite as important in in rock and roll since then i mean i think there have been some really awesome movements but that was massive and so yeah chris and his legacy is is very important to me i, I really i really uh i look he was he was brilliant absolutely what if soundgarden called you up and said hey we want to do a chris cornell tribute uh, would you come sing with us? Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like you're one of like maybe three people on the planet. Like, I mean, obviously we know Bruce Dickinson. If he just shows up, there's just going to be people yelling Bruce no matter what. But like, dude, I feel like it, there's so many people like they try to have these in their mind. Like, could this still be replicated? And like for me, for example, Adam Lambert goes and plays with Brian May. And I wasn't alive when Freddie's around. But at the same time, now I get to see Brian May and Roger Taylor play some of the greatest songs and Adam Lambert's doing him such justice even though he's not the same and he will tell you that mm-hmm. like I get to experience Brian May in my heart like would you would that be something that you'd be open to because I feel like you're one of the few voices that could do anything four octaves of anything uh, well I, you know I would look if if uh, if we're like a tribute like a song or something gosh that would be an honor any any singer would be honored I don't know if I could look Chris was like on a different there's something about the quality of his voice, that intensity that I really, I think that's the ma- part of the magic with what he did that there's that, in, I don't want to say anger, but when he, the way he'd rasp it out was so intense, it was so intense and emotional. And I don't know if this instrument does that. I mean, maybe hitting the notes is one thing. So, I mean, I, I have friends that I think would be really great. I have a friend, are you familiar with Ian Thornley? Like from Big Rec, have you heard of Big Rec? Oh yeah, heard, yeah, heard absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Ian's got that quality in his yeah. up. He would be amazing, and there are a lot. I think there are so many, so many incredible singers that that would I think be some you know would be I would as a fan I would like to like to hear that. But if, yeah, if they if they reached out, you know, you know, do a song or tr- just a tribute track or something, yeah, I would I would be honored. But uh, th- th- those are big shoes to try and fill. <laughs> Well, you've got some experience doing that, so I think you'll be all right. Well, listen, Miles, uh, we really appreciate you hanging with us. Uh, you know, anyone listening, if, if for some reason you only listen to this episode, make sure you go back, listen to part one, uh, 2020-d.com. Go buy Miles's uh, signature microphone so you sound Amazing as good microphone. as Miles does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Ben, if you want to do your epic rant, we can we can wrap this one up. Feel free. No, I just want to say, like, thank you, because, like, for me, you know, you played Wembley, dude, okay, which is what I I rate people against, and, like, I go and watch, all- so before this, I wanted to get myself psyched up, and I gotta tell go. you that 
I'm disillusioned with me. Well, because listen, you know, my favorite fuck you letter I ever got in my entire life. I sent Brian May in 2001 my first CD, and he was kind enough to write me a, a letter and send it back on his Brian May letterhead that said, "I'm too busy to listen to this, so I've returned it to you because I can't even listen to my own demos." But thanks, which I thought was a really nice fuck you, really? and, and uh, yeah, and. I kind of feel the same way where I don't really listen to a lot of stuff now because I'm working on so many different tracks of my own that like I'm egocentric. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it takes me a little bit to get out of my box. But I went down the YouTube hole with Miles Kennedy. And let me just tell you, first off, I love Slash. Man, he just, he makes me so happy. Like Anastasia, like for fuck's sake, for fuck's sake. Like if you want to hear like the greatest guitar work and it's as good as anything he's done on any record as far as I'm concerned uh, but your voice is one of those things where like even my fiance from the other room she's like who's that singing <laughs> and I'm like that's that's the greatest that's Miles Kennedy so when Steve asked me if I knew who you were it was just like one of those like are you joking? And so the fact that you're talking to us here, especially after we just had Nuno Betancourt, who was my other childhood hero. Like, dude, thank you so much for your time. And like, you've inspired me so much. Like you're singing, all that sort of stuff. And listen to this new record. Dude, it's fresh. It really has, your guitar playing is fucking tasty. The, the bass playing, the drum. Dude, it's unbelievable, man. And like, it, you should be really, really proud of it. And like, Slash, holy fuck. Thank you. I appreciate Alter Bridge, it. like I mean, Mark Tremonti knows. Like he's a re one of the reasons I turned on my distortion box. So <laughs> thanks, man. No, I can really. die happy now. Yeah, Miles, thank you so much. And you know, from my perspective, you're an incredible human, very thoughtful, very down to earth, which you know I love. Amazing musician. It's great to learn even more about you as someone who doesn't really come from the world of rock and roll that's still learning how to fit into it. So you know, I learned a lot from you today, and I'm sure everyone tuning in will really appreciate everything you had to say. Thank you. Well, hopefully we'll cross paths out on the out on the festival circuit. For sure. Yeah, we'll come check you out. And, you know, anytime we're in the same place, maybe I can somehow find you, reach out to you. <laughs> awesome. That would be wonderful. Yeah. All right. Very well, cool. Really like, appreciate it. And, and on behalf of Jason Becker, too, if you decide you want to come play it when you're yeah. in Boston, um, and, and certainly if you give me your info, I'll make sure he gets you some shirts and stuff if you want to, you know, rock yeah. ALS awareness for Jason. Um, you know, he's sitting stuck in his own mind. So the only thing I can control is hopefully putting a smile in his mind. And yeah. I think that that's all we can do. Right on. Definitely. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much again. 2020 dcom Like and subscribe to the podcast. And we will see you next time. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 83 featuring Mark Tremonti. Check it out. Well, me, me and Miles agree that melody is the most important part of any song. That's what people are singing back to you. You know, they're not they're not tapping out double bass kicks or, or you know, harmonizing arpeggios with you back vocally. They're singing what, what the words are and what the vocal melodies are. Um, but yeah, but whether it's a saxophone melody or a vocal melody or a guitar melody, you know, if you're listening to Baker Street, you know that that's a great melody. That's melodies to me are the most important thing. And it pissed me off when I was young in my career and people would be like, you know, you're a guitar player. I'm a songwriter. I'm a melody writer. I'm a songwriter. I'm a songwriter to the core. That's way, that comes way before guitar playing to me. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. 
Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.